Pop smoke died today. Like I'm in my feelings, bro. <laughs> Crips all day. You don't know. <laughs> this episode. It's on Crip, cuz. <laughs> on all the dead homies, cuz. <laughs> 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 Peeps, this is Alyssa, and I'm here with my co-host and faux little bro, Andre. And welcome to another episode of Teachers Like Us. Um, all right, so on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the thing that is all over the place right now, um, all up in your newsfeed, on your TV, in your homes, because you have to spend more time with your kiddos. Um, I'm talking about the strike, the ongoing labor action in Ontario. And I don't know. I truthfully, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. Like this doesn't make you nervous at all to it, do this episode? It kind of does because we're in a position where, you know, we have the union that backs us and we love our union. Hi, Etfo. I'm not shouting out anybody right now. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know if I belong to a union right now, I'm afraid. <laughs> Will I still have one when this is over? But um <laughs> It's something that I think our listeners need to hear from our perspective. And um, we were just on a podcast. And again, I don't know when their episode is going to air. but we It'll were, already have aired by the time this by goes up. comes up. Yeah. So we were featured on a podcast called The Sixth Sense Report. And um, they had us on there to essentially talk about like our perspective of what is happening in the strike. And we tackled a couple of the issues. So you can check out their their um, episode. It'll be a lot longer than ours, you, our episodes usually are because we really went into in-depth, random discussions at times. We went in-depth? In-depth. <laughs> we did go in-depth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think... It's important for our listeners to hear from us. You get all of the media talking about who we are. And even um, sometimes you, you're hearing from our full representatives or the different union representatives who we are as teachers and why they're fighting for our fair deal. But you don't really get to hear the teachers actually speak. There's no interviews of teachers happening or anything like that. So it's good for you to kind of hear from us or grab some sort of perspective from us of how the strike is going. Yeah, we wanted to do it on our own terms. Um, so when you listen to the other podcast, if you go and take a listen to that, um, I feel like it's a little it gets a little heated. I definitely was fiery during that uh, <laughs> <laughs> during that exchange. But again, I just felt like. We're constantly having to defend something that we love so much, and that's really difficult because I, I like. Based on last week's episode, if you've listened to that already from us, um, you heard us talk about how much we love our students and how much we love our jobs. And like, yes, um, yes, there are people that get into teaching for the wrong reason, but there's people that get into every job for the wrong reason. So um, I don't think it's fair to kind of, you know, paint all of us with the same brush. And, you know, we just um, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the strike action. So the demands that are kind of being made on our end. And keep in mind, this is um, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. So we teach anywhere, or ETFO has teachers, rather, from kindergarten all the way to grade 8. Mm-hmm. 
and then the high schools have a different union. So their demands are different from ours. So don't let that confuse you into thinking that all of our demands are the same. Yes. So even though you'll, you see us standing in solidarity with each other, so on the different days in the morning and on your morning commute, you're probably hearing honking, seeing people with signs, fair deal or no deal, um, seeing people in uh, red hats. Um, we are all standing with each other, even though we may have different demands in this because the students that we teach are different. So different in the high school, different in the in the K to eight school. Yeah. But again, like Andre was saying, we stand together because those same students that are high school students now were once our students, too. For sure. And they it's it, it continues like and we want students to have the best possible education possible. And I think that often gets lost in the shuffle of figuring out what this strike is actually about. So let's walk through the demands and then we'll kind of tackle them one by one. For sure. Okay. So number one, um, we want to make sure that special education is appropriately funded. So when we're talking about special education, that's not just, um, you know, if your child is in a contained classroom, those are the supports that are actually in place for all students who are experiencing challenges in their learning. However, if we're looking at something um, that's really specific to special education, I think Andre can speak to that because he was at one time an education assistant. Yeah, so for me being an ISSP teacher, so an in-school support person or support teacher, what... (laughs) What... um, I've had to deal with in that role and even outside of that role is really tackling this challenges that students face when the curriculum is presented to them. And in order to help tackle those challenges, it requires the funding that we are talking about. So it, they require those extra manipulatives. They require those... Um, they require time. For sure. Like spaces we need yes. to have like classrooms available f- for them to go to to sometimes be removed from class yeah. i think one thing that is important is that with the special education funding is giving students that needed access to technology it puts them in a situation that if you have say a student that's in grade 7 but at like a grade 1 grade 2 reading level it gives them access to um online books that can read to them it gives them access to um apps like Google Read and Write that what if they have if they cannot communicate um what they're thinking about or to answer a certain question, they have access to different online tools that can help them do that. And that all comes from the funding that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that includes, so like I was saying originally, um, that also includes uh, specialized programming. So in our school, we have three different classes that are um, kind of not your traditional model. Yes. So we have a developmentally delayed uh, room or a DD room, um, and those children... Or those students rather are are high needs in terms of um, so for our like for example in our school they are in wheelchairs mm-hmm. they are nonverbal um, we have you know it, um, education assistants who are feeding them lunch and you know changing diapers and we have um, a special room that you know is accessible for them so mats in the room and we have a, a snoozle room which has like padding and lights and sensory things like all of these things that um help students grow um the other thing that i was reading off of the better building better schools document um it was talking about that 
the fact that our current funding model for special education is based on a predictive um, model, a predictive funding model. So they're kind of guessing as to what they think we're going to need, and then whether it meets it or not is is whatever, kind of. Um, so what they want to do is kind of go to a model where we're actually looking at what the needs are and meeting those needs. So... It helps all students. Like I was talking about, we have that DD room. We also have, oh, no, we have four four or five. DD intensive. So we have, um, on top of our DD room, we have a GLD class. So that's general learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so students who just require, again, a little bit extra support, but support that they're not going to be able to get in a classroom of 25 to 30 students. So they have a smaller class size. Um, our intensive classroom. Intensive is like um, the students that are in the intensive classroom are usually coming, especially for us, if they come in at grade six, they're usually like bottom of the, like they're reading like kindergarten, grade one, or their math skills, math levels are kindergarten grade one math level so they're similar to a gld classroom but the higher needs yeah they have higher needs okay so there we go for intensive and then we also have um an icom classroom and those are for students who need help more with reading and writing so it's kind of reading recovery and helping those students and while i agree like people will be like why don't you just integrate them into a classroom You totally could, and some parents do choose to do that, but if we're looking at things from an equity standpoint and giving every student what they need in order to be successful and not just giving every student the same thing, this model supports that. And I get it. It costs money. Like, we're not saying it's free, but at the same time, like, what is the price of education? Like, what price are you willing to put on education? Like, It's not even education. It's like, what is the price of student success? Yeah, if of that's your what, children. Yeah, if that's our model or if that's the foundation of really everyone's teaching pedagogy is that I'm doing this so that the students that walk into my classroom or walk into my school are successful later on in life or successful while they are in my program something like special education funding is needed for those special education students or those students that are having those special challenges. Yeah, but it helps everyone in the long run, right? Because having those uh, specialized classes or spaces and all of those things allows your students in the traditional model to also get the support they need from their teacher. Because if you think about it, when when, um, those students are being put or streamed into traditional model classes, um, where is the attention going, right? Like the attention is going away from your B students, your A students, because they're fairly self-sufficient, we believe. Um, so things to keep in mind. If we're moving along this list, um, number two is classroom violence. We want to um, we want to make sure that classroom violence is addressed. And I, I think people take this for granted. They assume that schools are always um a calming and maybe just kind of a little rowdy place to be but like that violence doesn't happen like violence is kind of an outsider thing that comes in that's why we have down girls and things like that but like sometimes the violence is happening in our very own buildings for sure um i on our last podcast i told the story of me being an ea and having to deal with like a kindergarten student who was violent in her classroom and would like punch kids and hit teachers and things like that and those stories don't seem real they seem like a far off distant thing that 
aren't dealt with now and those things are dealt with now so having you have teachers that have to go into their classrooms now and have on padded sweatshirts and um, wearing uh, protective gloves so that their hands and their bodies don't get punched and scratched without that extra protection. Those things are real and are needed for our teachers. If you take those things away or if you say that those things don't exist, you're putting teachers in a very scary position. Mm-hmm. And like to be honest, right, like in our mandate, we're, we're not allowed to touch kids, right? Sure. So like I can't physically defend myself really if a kid is coming to attack me because that's in my mandate um, but there's nothing in place that protects me from that violence mm. and that's scary and so while this may not be happening to your um, child's teacher or may not even be happening to Andre and I it is a very real reality for some teachers that they're facing literally, literally every day every day yeah like, and again you have to put yourself in the position of that teacher where okay this is your profession Nowhere in teachers' college did it say, yeah, be prepared for desks and chairs to be thrown at yeah, you. Yeah, recycling bins. Uh, yeah. That's happened. Never happened. No one, no one said, oh, a kid might pick up a computer and smash it on your head. Nobody said that, but like, it true. sounds funny, but all of these things are true. All of these things are happening. It's true. Like, I... <laughs> I have a nervous laugh now too, but like when I think about this, like when you think about the kids, I can't do this. (laughs) It's true though, because in my first year of teaching, um, I had a kid who, again, expressed violence, expressed violent tendencies, never in my class per se, but again, I watched him throw a recycling bin at a teacher down these very hallways in our (laughs) school. Um, He also tried to burn his sister alive in his house. Like, we are dealing with very real things that we are not trained for and that no one is providing us with resources for. And um, again, if we go back to that Building Better Schools document, um, it talks about violence being a symptom of broader issues in our education system as a whole. So it's almost a symptom of things like those larger class sizes and lack of resources um, and lack of student support and fewer staff members to handle all of these things, right? Like if you take away all of the funding for all of these people and resources and spaces, then those symptoms start to appear. Like the, the system is sick, so to speak. The next thing on the list out of the, for our fair deal for our members is, um, kindergarten being maintained so i guess the what we are trying to address is the fact that right now we're in a position in where we have full day kindergarten so the students have access to go to kindergarten and be in class all day be with their teachers and they're trying to go back to the model of having half-time kindergarten or part-time kindergarten and again so on the podcast this is where i felt like things started to get Um, a little touchy for me because I just felt like it reeked a little bit of privilege to be like, well, let's just go to this half day model and parents will figure it out. Yeah. Huh? Like, and then there was the talk of homeschooling and talk of like putting your kids in private school, which are options for some. some. And I didn't like that. That really kind of got under my skin because I just thought like, are we thinking about the mass population? Are we thinking about those who are the most underserved, the most marginalized? Like, what happens to their children? Like, not everyone can homeschool their children. Not everyone, 
even if they gave up everything, could still afford. Like, it's such a privilege, and one that Andre and I both share, like a privilege that, you know what, if needed, if need be, one of us could probably go and like our families would survive. We could yeah. probably move back into a parent's house. But what about if you don't have parents' houses to move into? Basements are not cheap anymore. Like Especially where we live, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I just feel like kindergarten, I don't know why we're always looking at kindergarten as, well, if the kids can't learn how to read by age five, then what is the point of kindergarten? Because that was the point that I felt Joel kept trying to make was that, well, there's a negligible difference in their capabilities by the time they get to grade two. I don't care. Like, (laughs) no offense, but that's not like that is the purpose of kindergarten, but it's not the purpose of kindergarten. Um, It's social. It's learning how to share. It's learning how to interact with others. Um, And it's to spark interest. Yeah, like you get to try a bunch of different things. You're going, yes, you can go on field trips at home, but like some kids, again, their parents are working weekends uh, to make ends meet. They are working nights. Mm. Parents are trading off. One parent's working in the morning, one at night. Um, And, like, it's just nice for those kids to have those opportunities that, you know, they may not have elsewhere. And it hopefully um, makes things a little more equitable, right? Like, everyone gets to experience all of these things. And it it grows imagination. Like, Mm. there's just so much I could say for kindergarten. And truthfully, I think kindergarten teachers are the real MVPs because there's no way I can handle (laughs) a class of even 20 five-year-olds. Oh, my gosh. I would cry. A lot of these, and my biggest point behind them taking away this full-day kindergarten is that you're taking away from these teachers that actually love what they're doing. Mm. That will, um, the example that I gave on the podcast that we were asked to be on was I said you might have um, these kindergarten kids go outside for recess find a ladybug and teacher notices that they found the ladybug and then the next day the teacher and the TA have come up with this entire ladybug unit they've got ladybug picture books where have a center where we're making wings or we're looking at um, how a ladybug grows there and all of that and that is just off of looking at a kid's imagination and blowing it up. yeah like it, as a simple example i guarantee you if you look at all of the signs on the picket line and you notice any of the really fancy ones guarantee, guarantee. that's a kindergarten that's a kindergarten teacher yeah. they are so crazy when it comes to like their imagination and the things that they love like I it's it would be such a shame to take that away. And you need both the teacher and the EA in mm-hmm. that classroom, like or the ECE. ECE yeah. Sorry, my bad. Um, ECE in that classroom, like everyone is necessary. And I think kindergarten is valuable, regardless of you know math or reading. And I think all too often that's the only thing we see when we see education. And not to drag on this point before we get to the next one, but. The other thing is that you have a whole bunch of kindergarten teachers that will notice things in students like, hey, I'm noticing you're you're start like the reading, you're getting it Mm -hmm. or you're putting simple math terms and math equations together and they'll take that. And again, just like the ladybug thing, they'll take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and you see it happen all of the time so now with play-based kindergarten where the focus might not be the actual letters and reading and writing but when the kids start to take interest in it no matter what it is you'll find that these kindergarten teachers will no problem have will have no problem in shifting what they're doing mm-hmm. and okay sorry i know kindergarten is so important and i feel like i didn't realize how big of a point this was but like even down to simple things like um finding uh you know those like things like if your kid may have autism, right? Mm. Um, kindergarten teachers, not that they are able to diagnose, but they're able to see kind of those shifts um, that would make them say, you know what, maybe this is something you want to check out. Or maybe your kid has vision problems and you had no idea. Like how many times like, do you sit down with your kid and like you're like, mm, I think you might have a vision problem. That's not you, but like in a class full of, of 20 or 25, whatever it is for kindergarten, those teachers are sitting with them and they can see those little nuances and say, they'll say to you, hey, maybe you want to get so-and-so's eyes checked, um, which helps. So it's just all of that caring and sharing and we're running out of time. So next, um, fair hiring practices continue. I feel like, did we talk about this here too on the last one? Uh, sort of, yeah. Okay, so we just to kind of do this one quickly, right now we are in a model um, where... Teachers are hired onto a supply list. You have to supply for X amount of days. How many days? I think it's 15 okay. minimum. You have to supply 15 days. Then you can apply to be on the long-term occasional list. After 10 months. Yeah. Those are positions that allow you to um, be in the classroom every day for a longer period of time. One month, two months, the entire year, whatever it may be. And then from there, once you've done that for how long? It doesn't really matter how long you've done it for but usually um the word around town is you're if you're in an lto if you're in a on the lto list for maybe three or four years or Mm -hmm. so you should have a contract coming up next year seniority number will bump up into that range where you'll be looking when you apply for contracts that you'll be in that top five okay so then you can apply for contracts which are your permanent positions but the idea behind these hiring practices is that you have to kind of go through stages and accumulate um, that experience that you can only learn on the job so it helps train you so i likened it in the last podcast to um, the graduated driving system that we have now our graduated licensing system where we went from you being able to just get your license and go to you having to get your g1 g2 and go on from there um so number five class sizes that meet student needs so andre why is it important to have small class sizes because having 30 plus students in one class is madness. That's why it's important to have um, smaller class sizes or not to, and I think what they're trying to do in our contract is put something in writing that says, hey, well, we can extend the cap to reach a certain point. If we go back to that first talk that we were having about special education and meeting the needs of those children and having um, something available like smaller class sizes, Mm -hmm. if we go to this model of, okay, everybody's going to have 30-something students in their class, you're going to turn students into numbers. There's not going to be any more room to have that communication or to build that strong relationship when you have so many kids in the classroom. Now you're going to be in a place where it's like, okay, I have 30, 31, 35 of you. I need to teach. You need to copy this note. There's this test coming up next week because that's going to be the easiest way to manage the class. It's hard to have a conversation or to um, explore something with 30 different, 30 plus different opinions in the room. 
I agree. Um, but one thing I did want to address before we get to hiring was funding for Ontario schools, period. So um, the one thing that I wanted to dispel really quickly, and I think the bell is going to go in the middle of me speaking, was the idea that the education minister and that the government is giving us more money than we've ever had. Yes, true that we are getting more money, and that's only because our student population has increased. So yes, as a whole, more money, but... Um, Per student capita, it's gone down 3%. So each student is receiving 3% less funding than they did in previous years. So when they're like, but we gave you more money. Yes, you gave us more money because you had to. There were more students. So that equals more money. But per student, 3% less. So that is the bell. And um, like Alyssa said, we'll get more into this um, compensation inflation in another podcast. But if you, <laughs> but if you're looking to um, listen to any of our other podcasts, you can follow us or find us wherever podcasts are available. Just type in "teachers like us." We should be the first ones to pop up. If you're looking for us um, to see what we're doing day to day, you can look at find us on Instagram. Go to "teachers like us." Find us on Instagram as well. And that's it for this week. So we'll see you next week. Peace out, people. Bye.